Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, and the word of the Sovereign Lord reads, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. I first of all just want to start off by saying thank you um, to all the parents who brought your kids to Vacation Bible School. Um, you know, it, I just appreciate the opportunity for us as a church to be able to love on them and to be able to share the, the hope of Christ with them. Hopefully this will be, you know, wonderful memories they've made and that they'll carry with them for the rest of their life. In fact, I have talked to, um, to people that, are, that were adults um, when we talk about VBS, who said that they came to Vacation Bible School here and they said it was some of their fondest memories they had from when they were a kid. Um, I thank you guys for, for allowing your kids to be here. I also want to say thank you, dads, for uh, hanging out with us here on Father's Day. Uh, when, we, when we put this together, we were trying to time it with the end of school, didn't realize it was going to be Father's Day when we did this, but um, uh, we certainly appreciate you coming here. Hopefully, uh, your family will treat you to an extra big lunch that you don't have to cook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's right. Hey, Dad, it's Father's Day. What are you grilling, right? <laughs> but uh, so I want to thank you, dads, for being here. Uh, but I especially want to say thank you to the volunteers who work so hard. Um, it takes a lot of commitment and uh, committed people to pull off Vacation Bible School. Um, when you think about it, if on the outside, it might seem like, hey, it's just something that you do. But really, there is a lot of thought and work that goes in, goes uh in, into it, especially the weeks leading up. There's just a lot of things to do, and um, we're just grateful for all of the volunteers, what they have, what they have done. Um, this church actually has been doing VBS, I think, since the 1930s, um, and I think last year was the first and only year that we missed, and that was just because of the, uh, the lockdown, um, and, uh, and so it was really good to get back. It was really good to kind of get back to normal. It was good to have kids back in the sanctuary singing and dancing and having a good time and playing games and, and hearing about Jesus. And, and, uh, and I have to say, for me, this VBS has probably been one of the best that we've ever done. I, I, and, and I mean that sincerely, and for a number of reasons. Number one um, is, I would say, have to say, is my, uh, my wife, Kim's leadership. She's been directing VBS here for 10 years. And, uh, and, and because of that, she has a lot of experience. You know, we've been through it. She's, you know, we're still learning, but she's learned a lot of the years and she has a passion for these kids. Um, and I'm grateful for her commitment to get it done. Um, again, it's a, it's a tough job, you know, because she starts working on it usually in January. 
Uh, number two is the committed volunteers. Um, the volunteers we have, many of them have been doing this for 10 years plus as well. I know some of you have actually been doing a lot longer than that. Um, and that experience and hard work has really, you know, made itself seen at Vacation Bible School. And also, too, is just, you know, your love for all these kids. And number three, um, the, uh, Charles Homer, who was the youth pastor here for a number of years, back before I became the pastor here, uh, he was actually my oldest son's youth pastor. Um, he came back from up north, uh, and he brought with him a bunch of, uh, bunch of kids, a bunch of uh, teens who were committed, and they work really hard. Um, actually, some kids that really love the Lord, like our youth group, and um, they just came and they served with, you know, with, with enthusiasm and energy, and I uh, was just really grateful for what they do. They, they play games with the kids, and again, it just takes our VBS game up another level. I think that's another reason why it's been one of the best ones. But, but the fourth reason I think this VBS has been the best one is because of the, is because the messaging of the VBS this year itself. You know, the theme of this VBS really stood out to me. You see, over the years, my philosophy for children's ministry has changed, right? As I've grown in my understanding of the Word of God and as, and as I've grown in my understanding of the church itself um, and my understanding of kids' ministry, um, those things have just begun to change and I think really become more biblical. And understand, we always, always proclaim the gospel. At every turn, we always tell kids about, the Je about Jesus, right? We proclaim the gospel at VBS. We encourage kids to follow Jesus. And, and you know, it, and, and that will never change. But there was a time, I think, where we, with the very best of intentions, would focus on the number of kids making a profession of faith as the mark of a successful VBS. Uh, and, and as a result, we were always looking for opportunities to, to get a kid to make a decision for Christ, right? We were always really kind of looking for that angle. Is that kid ready to make a decision for Christ? Did, did they make a decision for Christ? How many decisions for Christ did we, did we get, right? Which then invariably led to Thursdays, which was always the gospel day, right? We would tell the story about Jesus, and then we would ask kids if they wanted to go to heaven and if they were ready to invite Jesus into their hearts and right and then raise your hand and inevitably kids all over the place would raise their hands and by the way most of them were the same ones that raised their hands the year before and the year before right uh and, and then we would ask these kids to, to go to a group leader and they would sit down and ask them you know do you really 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 want jesus in your heart and they would obviously say yes and and then the leader would lead them in this scripted prayer and then you know and then when the prayer was over, they would then tell the child, if you really sincerely meant that prayer, then you are now saved and you are in the kingdom of God forever. Yay! Right? right? And then we would give them a tract and then send them home. And then maybe on that last Friday night, we'd bring all the kids up here who'd made a decision for Christ and we would pat ourselves on the back and, and say, what a great job we're, we're doing. But then... We would send them home, and then year after year, we'd watch those kids never come back to church. And I've seen a number of those kids grow up into adults and whose lifestyle reflects the fact that they've never actually even met Christ. And, and I realized that we absolutely need to tell kids about Jesus, and we need to tell them the gospel, and we always need to invite them to believe. But I've come to understand we need to slow down a little bit 
and take our time and make sure that they do believe. Make sure that they do actually understand the gospel. Because the truth is, many of the kids with just one week of VBS under their belt, many of those kids don't really understand the gospel. And do you know how I know that that's to be, a, to be true? Is because they're grown-ups who've spent every year and every summer at vacation Bible school and who even went to church for a while who still don't know the gospel. In fact, there are people who have actually spent years in church and people who have made it become members of a church and even served in the church who really don't understand the gospel. All you have to do is ask a person one simple question. What is the gospel? And you'll find out a lot of people really struggle to, to understand what the gospel is. And so how can I legitimately expect then a six-year-old to come to VBS who's really interested in the snacks and prizes, right? right? How do I expect them to understand the gospel well enough to make a lifelong commitment to follow Christ, right? How can I expect a seven-year-old who doesn't know that they have a sin nature to understand truly what the gospel is? Now, now please hear me. I want, you, I want you to hear what I'm saying here. Can a child hear the gospel and be moved by God to exercise saving faith? Absolutely. Because the gospel is simple enough for a child to understand. More importantly, God is the author of salvation. He is the one who can work salvation into anyone who He chooses. Right? So we should always encourage children to believe. We should continually remind them of the hope that is found in Christ. We should exhort them, like we do all other people, to repent and believe the gospel. But what I think we need to do is to present the truth of the gospel the best way we can in an age-appropriate manner, and we should encourage them to believe that truth, but we should also encourage them to follow Christ. You see, we shouldn't emphasize a single decision at some extended party in the summer one time in their life. We should be emphasizing the ongoing decision to follow Christ. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus, when he begins to preach, the first thing that he says, right, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And the words that Jesus uses here for repent and believe, those two words in the Greek language, those words are in the present tense imperative active, which you really wanted to know grammar today. I know that, right? No. They're the first person, second person, imperative active. And what that means is the words repent and believe are actually meant to convey the idea of continuing action. You don't just believe one time in your life and you don't have to believe anymore. It's you believe and be believing, be repenting, right? We are to continually believe. You see, the Christian faith is about ongoing faith. The mark of a Christian is not that they made a decision at some point in the past to invite Jesus in their hearts. The mark of a Christian is the fact that they endure by faith. That they continually believe. And that's what we, as a church, seek to teach these kids. To continually believe and to continually follow and to continually trust Jesus. 
And again, that's why this particular VBS really sp spoke to me, is the message over and over and over again is twofold, right? Is that Jesus has power and trust Jesus. That's the message over and over again. In fact, let's look at the Bible points again, right? Jesus' power helps us to do hard things. The first thing that we taught them. And then the kids at the end of that would say, trust Jesus. That was their response to those things. In fact, let's just do that together as a church, okay? It might feel silly, but that's okay. The kids did it all week long, all right? So Jesus' power helps us to do hard things. Right. Jesus' power gives us hope. Right. Jesus' power helps us to be bold. Jesus' power lets us live forever. Jesus' power helps us be good friends. You see, it's not a one-time decision. It's an ongoing faith, continually trusting Jesus. This, by the way, is how we equip these kids to face life head on. This is how we equip them for the dark times because darkness will come to their life. As much as you love your little kids, as much as you're going to do to protect them, even you helicopter parents, right? Like the ones who are trying to fix everything all the time, they will face devastatingly dark times that you can't control or fix. They're going to lose loved ones. It's going to happen. They're going to face being broke. They're going to face having their hearts ripped out and stomped on by another human being. It's going to happen. They will get sick. Sometimes they will get injured. Any parent with a dirt bike understands that, right? They will get depressed. They will face moments of anxiety. They will experience hard times that will make your heart ache because you can't fix it. And there will be times they will feel lost and alone, even when you're right there hugging them. The way we get them through this the way that we help them to endure, the way we help them to have the assurance of the promises of Christ himself is that we continually exhort them to trust Jesus. To trust Jesus with every part of their lives, to trust Jesus in every possible circumstance, and to trust him especially when all seems lost. There's a reason why Jesus has been referred to as the anchor of our soul since the beginning of the church to trust Jesus to the very end. It is through that kind of enduring faith that we can help them grab hold of the immovable hope that will always endure when everything else around them falls apart. In fact, let's just look at today's text. Let me just illustrate this. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. And just let that phrase sink in. We've heard that multiple times. Even if you're not a Christian or have never read the Bible, you've heard people at least refer to this or quote this, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus, the Son of the living God, says, don't let your hearts be overwhelmed by grief. Don't let your hearts be overwhelmed by fear. Don't let your hearts be troubled. What an, what an important and encouraging set of words from, from God incarnate. Because if there's anything that's certain in life, if there's anything 
that's, that's sure is that you will encounter difficulty and trouble. In fact, the Bible even tells us, in this world, you will have tribulation. By the way, that verse right there ends for all, all the debates, for all intents and purposes, for those people who want to peddle a prosperity gospel, that if you'll just put your faith in Jesus, you'll have all the money you ever wanted, right? God will make you healthy, wealthy, and happy if you'll just believe it. Jesus said right here in his own words, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. We, like our children, will face more than our share of difficulty. You have already faced more than your share. The economy is going to change at some point, and it's going to be bad. And then it'll be good again, right? Jobs will be lost. Family members will get the worst-case diagnosis. Friends will be betray us, the ones even that we think that are closest to us. Opportunities that we think we're sure will disappear. Loved ones will hurt you. Community members will let you down. Law enforcement will be slow to respond when you need them the most. And death is hunting all of us. The truth is we live in a fallen, broken world that is filled full of fallen, broken people. And the result is it's only a matter of time before you experience your next heartache. And we know it deep down. We know it. Actually, at times when people say, why is the world so bad? I wonder why we actually have so many good things that happen when there's so much bad. We live in a fallen, broken world. And in fact, many of us live in great fear of the next heartache. There are a lot of people who just worry, 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 worry incessantly. They worry about everything. That's why so many people experience so much anxiety. That's why so many people are so stressed out all the time. Did you lock the doors? Did you make sure that you packed extra underwear? Did you, did you get enough? Did we put enough money away for retirement? Do we have enough for this? Do we have enough for that? Right? I hope you know, you're, they're going to be all right writing with them. Right? I hope we have enough Band-Aids. I wonder what will happen, right? if we don't come to an agreement on this next contract. It's a big one for our community right there. And it goes on and on and on. The world gives us more stuff to worry about than we can actually worry about. But Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, I want you to understand, he's just not flippantly saying that. He's talking to his disciples who are a bit overwhelmed and confused and emotional in this moment. Because Jesus has been talking about leaving, and he says that they can't come with him right now. And then he does really weird things, like washing their feet, which is weird to them. Acting like a lowly servant, washing their feet. And then he says, by the way, one of you in this room is going to betray me. And then right after that, he tells Peter, he tells them all, you're all going to fall away from me. And then Peter's like, no, I'll go with you for wherever you go. And, and Jesus said to him, you're going to deny me three times. This is after Jesus had been spending time with them, and he's trying to, he's been explaining to him three different times that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be killed. So sitting there that night, their hearts must have been wearied and burdened with grief and confusion and despair. But Jesus again said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Which sounds easy enough, right? But but How? I mean, how many times have you been worried in your life and someone comes up and says, you just need to stop worrying. You're like, great, thank you very much. That really helped, right? That's almost as bad as telling your wife who's not calm to 
calm down, right? Right. As if suddenly there's a switch you can flip and all that stops. Thanks, I'm glad you reminded me. Let me just flip that switch now. The reality is if there's anything you could do on your own, you would just stop worrying. You wouldn't be anxious. So how do we not let our hearts be troubled? Well, Jesus actually gives us the answer right after this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let not your hearts be troubled. And the way that you do that is to believe in God and believe also in me. This right here is like one of the best kept secrets of all the Christian faith. I think we all forget this at times. The antidote to your grief, the antidote to your fear, the antidote to your sorrow is not anything that you can find in this world. More money is not going to make you stop worrying. More stuff is not going to keep you from being depressed. More relationships are not, is not going to solve the internal strife that you feel. The antidote to your sorrow and your trouble and your worry is your belief in Christ. Our faith in Christ is the antidote to those things. That is how you overcome fear. That is how you overcome worry. That is how you let your heart not be troubled. We trust in Jesus and believe in him. And, and the word believe here in this verse, what you need to realize is the exact same one that was used in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It is again, more grammar, present tense imperative active, which again means an ongoing action. And so we can translate this verse like this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Be believing in God and be believing also in me. Continually believing. Again, this is not a one-time-in-history decision that you made to believe. It's a continuous, ongoing belief. We believe and we keep on believing. And what is it that we need to believe? We need to believe that Jesus is what he claimed to be. And we need to believe that Jesus will do what he promised to do. And he pro what did he promise to do? Well, look in verse number two. It tells us. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, the promise of Christ is that for those who believe, the promise for those who trust in Him is that He one day will come back for them. That He will come back for them and take them home. That is the promise. And I want you to notice it says, in my father's house are many rooms. That word rooms can actually be translated as mansions, but really what it means is a, a dwelling place. It's a place to live. And so in my father's house, where my father lives, is many places for you to live. Where my father is, there's plenty of room for you to come live with him. That's the promise. And, and not only, Jesus said, not only am I going there, but I'm preparing a place for you. I am preparing a place for you to live in my Father's house. You see, not only did, has Jesus promised those who trust in Him that they will have a place to live, that, that, that one, not only will they have that one day in the future, Jesus is already preparing for that time. Jesus 
was going to do all the things that needed to be done so that you once, that once you crossed over, that you could have, again, close fellowship with God and live with Him in His presence forever. This is a big deal that Jesus had to do for us because, remember, our sin is what separates us from God. It's because of our sin that we cannot live in His presence without Christ. It's because of our sin that we deserve not to live in God's life-giving presence, but rather to live under His divine wrath. If God and man, if they were to ever be able to live together, then something had to change. That's why Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Well, what did Jesus have to do to prepare that place? Well, Jesus had to live a perfect life that was required of us that we couldn't, we couldn't live, securing for us a righteousness that we couldn't earn. But more than that, had to be done. Our sin that we already committed had to be dealt with. And so Jesus had to go to the cross for us. And on the cross, he would endure the awful and terrible wrath of God that we deserve in order to make payment for our sins so that we could be washed clean. You see, Jesus, in order to reconcile us to God so that we can live with him, had to do for us all of the things that we couldn't do for ourselves. And, and the promise of the gospel is that if we will trust in him and him alone, all of our sins are washed away. All of them, past, present, and future, all of them are washed away by the blood of Christ. And then his righteousness, his righteous standing, his perfection is given to us as a gift to put on thereby making us perfect in the sight of God, giving us the right to be children of God and giving us the right to live with Him forever and ever. Jesus said, not only is there a place for you in eternity with God, but I am preparing for that. Right? And then notice He says, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also. The promise not only is that there's a place and not only is Jesus doing what needs to be done to make it a reality, Jesus promised it's He Himself who is going to come and bring us safely home. He's the one who's going to escort us there. He is the one who will take us by the hand and lead us safely to our dwelling place with God. And He said, there will we be with Him. That we'll be with Jesus. You see, not only is Jesus our hope, but Jesus is our greatest treasure. He's our greatest desire. And the reason for that is because Jesus is God incarnate. He is God himself. In fact, notice it says in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now on you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is our hope and our greatest treasure because He is the most valuable thing in all existence. He is the holy and righteous, just God Himself. In fact, in the beginning of the book of John, the Apostle John tells us, he makes his case from the very opening words. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he follows that up in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the promise is if we will trust Jesus, then He will do everything on our behalf to help us in this life 
and then lead us faithfully into the next. And that he himself will come for us and bring us from this earthly plane where everything is broken to our forever home where we will live with the very source of life and hope and joy and peace with God himself. And there will be no more barriers between us and God. And then if that's not enough for you, right? not only will we live with God, we will live forever with those that we love, who, who we lost, who are in Christ. Right? Never to lose them again. This is a promise that's really best illustrated in Revelation chapter 21. In beginning verse 1, he says, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people, and God himself will be their God. And then notice this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is the hope that awaits those who are trusting in Jesus all of the worst that the life has to offer, all the worry, all the anxiety, all of the loss, all the things that trouble our hearts will no longer be a thing anymore. What a glorious truth to hold on to. What a glorious truth that gives us stability to live this life today. What a beautiful promise that we can depend on. No wonder we can tell these kids things like, Jesus' power you know, helps us to do the hard things because he does. Because we know he is the one that's in control and so we can trust in him. We can tell them that Jesus' power gives us hope because he is hope itself. Right? And we're promised that our hope in him is never in vain. And Jesus' power makes us bold. We can live confidently, boldly, knowing that God's in control and our future is secure. In fact, a promise that I hold on to daily my life verse is Romans 8.28. And for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Not all, all things work for good. That means even the bad things that we can't see the answers to right here, right now, trusting in Him, knowing that that promise is sure. We can also tell the kids that Jesus helps us to be good friends. because. We have Christ, we have a new love within in us, a new grace to give to other people, that we can love people even when it's hard to love them. And then all of this is true because Jesus' power lets us live forever. As we're told in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, he says, you all should be familiar with this one, by the way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have but have, present tense, the moment they believe, eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, he might, that the, the world might be saved through Him. That is the promise for those who believe and continue to believe. 
That's why we must continually proclaim to your children and to mine the power of Christ and then call them to trust him. It's not about a one-time obscure decision that they made on VBS one day. It's about continually trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, which the Bible makes very clear. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Which, by the way, is what Jesus makes clear in this text. He says, <clears throat> and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, you know the way, and Thomas said, we don't know the way where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, you, you knowing where I'm going isn't really that important. What's important is that you know the way. And the way is me. I am the way. Now, the word that Jesus uses here in the Greek that we translate as the way can also be translated as a path or road. With that being said, the implication is really clear, right? Jesus is the path that you must take to eternal life. He is the road that you must be on to eternal life. And notice he uses the definite article here, the word the, right? Jesus isn't just a way. He is the way. He is the road. He is the path. What does that mean? It means he's the only way. All roads might lead to Rome, but they don't all lead to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way. And if that weren't clear enough, he says, I am the truth. And the word that he uses here means a factual truth, or it even means reality. Jesus being God in the flesh is truth itself. In fact, truth has its origins in him. All other religions might possess some sort of truth, but they are not the truth. And because they're not the truth, they cannot lead you safely home. Only Christ can do that. And again, if that point wasn't emphatic enough, he then goes on to say, I am the life. And again, notice that the definite article, the, right? and the word that he uses here in the Greek is the Greek word zoe, and I mentioned that because we all know a zoe, so. But the Greek word zoe, which means both physical and spiritual life. Jesus, as the creator of all things, is the very author of life itself. Jesus is life. Jesus says so much, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. There's only one life and that is Jesus. You are alive today, right now, in this moment, by His sovereign will, because He gave you that life, and He is at this moment sustaining that physical life. But He's also the source of spiritual life. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, that you were dead in your Trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But then he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of 
the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Jesus is not life only. He is the life. And one more time, if that weren't enough for you, Jesus then says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Literally, the way the Greek is written, it says, no one or nothing comes to the Father if not by me. Jesus is making all, taking all the exclusions away. I mean, all, all the exceptions away. Jesus' words are very clear. There is one way to the Father's house and eternal life, and that is through Christ himself, believing and trusting in Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people in our culture that struggle with this truth. This is one people really don't like to hear. They struggle with the exclusive nature of the, the Christian faith. They say things like, that's just not fair, right? That is just really intolerant of you. That is just very bigoted of you. That is very unloving of you. That is just very, you know, unwoke of you. But it's true. And this is the bottom line. The truth don't care about your feelings. The Christian faith is exclusive. The claims of Christ are exclusive. But the thing that we must see is, is they are also gracious and radically inclusive. You see, the important thing that we need to see is, yes, Jesus is the only way, but all who come to him, all who come through Christ by faith, all who come to Christ, no matter who they are, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've been through, all who repent and believe in the gospel are saved. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what your life history was before you put your faith in Christ. You see, it is exclusive in the sense you must come through Christ, but all who come to Christ are saved. The promise is for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus alone. And this, by the way, is a message we must continually teach our children and reinforce to them in their lives every single day. This is why we need to remind them that life is always about the gospel. Because lest they stray into legalism, lest they come to that place where, okay, I believe in Jesus, so I need to do this, I need to do this. No, 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 no. Right? Your life will change if you just trust in Christ. Right? It's not about what you do for Him. right? Oh, I messed up. God must be mad at me, so I better not go to church. That's No. God already knew what you were going to do before you did it. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. This is the message we must continually remind our children of every single day. This is why we must teach them to pray. This is why we must share them the Word of God. This is why we got to bring them back to church even when they're grumpy and don't want to come, right? Even when you're grumpy and don't want to come. A single obscure decision one day at BBS, when your kids, when, when they were kids, that by itself is not going to carry them through the trials of life into the next but believing and trusting continually in the work of Christ will. Remember, Jesus said, 
The time is now. The kingdom of heaven is here. Be repenting and believing in the gospel. This is the truth we must continually remind ourselves of and remind our kids of. We need to help them understand the gospel. And I'm going to share with you really quick the gospel I shared with them and the gospel I shared with my teenagers last summer and the gospel I preached to myself when I started getting inside my own head and the gospel that I continually proclaim from this pulpit and the gospel that you should be proclaiming yourself and simply this, God, it always begins with God. God created everything, including you. And he created you to have a relationship with him. You were created special above all of the things in creation. You were created in his image for him. Distinctly for him to have a relationship with him. But our sin, our transgressions have separated us from God. All of us are sinners. We're, we were born into sin and we willfully, by our own decisions, choose to sin. But the bad news is our sin can't be overcome by what we do. We can't, by our own efforts, make ourselves right with God. We can't be compassionate enough, loving enough, woke enough, smart enough. We can't work hard enough, try hard enough. There's not a, you cannot do enough on your own to overcome the stain of your own sin, which means you are hopeless under God's wrath and condemnation. And if that doesn't change, you will get what exactly what you rightly deserve, which is eternity in hell. That's the bad news of the gospel. But then the good news is this. Christ came into the world to do all the things for you you couldn't do for yourself, and he made payment for your sin. Somebody had to make payment, but Christ came in the world to do that for you. He lived the life that that was required of you you couldn't live, and then he willingly laid his life down on the cross so that by believing you could have the righteousness of Christ and have your sins paid for. And the promise is that everyone who believes then will have life and life eternal. That's the gospel. Now, for some reason, for many years as as a brand new Christian, I kept getting that twisted up as, okay, now I know the gospel. Now I need to do this and I need to do that and I need to do this and I need to start being nicer and I need to start doing... No. My hope is in the gospel and the gospel alone. And the promise is if I will trust in him, He will change me from the inside out through His Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And my life will become different. Not because I am being obedient to make God love me. That obedience comes as a consequence of my faith in Christ. That's the message we have to share with our kids. That's the hope for this next generation. And that's the hope of the world. That's the only hope that we have. The next election cycle might change some of our, our attitudes politically, right? And we might think that things are going to get better. But then the next election after that will reveal it's just the same old thing over and over and over again, right? And some of you will get a tax refund and suddenly you will feel like, man, I'm doing pretty good right now, right? And then a couple of unexpected bills later and you'll be like, I'm broke as a joke again, Right? Some of you are like, man, this person's the person I've been waiting for and the one I just, it's going to make my life complete. And then guess what? You're going to find out that they're just as big a jerk as you are because we're all imperfect. All of the things that we look forward to to hope will eventually let us down. There's only one hope that we have in this life and beyond, and that is Jesus Christ. And my prayer 
is that if you've not made him your hope, that you would repent and believe the gospel. And if you need help with that, I'd be happy to talk with you. But at the same token, let us then be committed to raising another generation of children who were in love with Christ and sold out for his mission to save the lost. Let me pray. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.